Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. Good morning. It's so good to be back with you again. I'm Derek Lamar Smith. I'm one of the occasional preachers here. Uh, And so I'm really grateful to um, be back uh, with my church family. And man, boy, it's it's hard as you get close to 50 to fight back tears when you see all these new people joining our family of faith. Amen. Amen. And I praise God for that. There are so many churches in Houston, and God called you to be a part of the Church of the Apostles, and it's not by incident or accident or happenstance. God is always deliberate and intentional and strategic about what he does, and I am overwhelmed that God has called you, and and I'm going to say something about it more at the end of this little message that I prepared, but man, this is just so crazy good, and I praise God for that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's, let, let's breathe a word of prayer. Uh, Lord, it's your spirit that does the work. It's your spirit that produces the fruit, and I pray that your spirit will teach us and that he will transform us as your son, Jesus Christ, is fully formed in us. We thank you in advance. And we ask it all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you're not uh, a regular Sunday morning worshiper here at Church of the Apostles, we want you to know that you're not only welcomed here, you're wanted here. And so we're grateful that you're here. If you have your Bibles, if you have a good old-fashioned hard copy like I do, or if you have it on your uh, mobile device, as the British would say, Look with me and open your Bibles, and you just leave them open to 1 Samuel 3. Thank you so much, St. Patrick, for leading us in our uh, readings this morning. I want to put a tag on this text. I want to talk about breaking the silence. Breaking the silence. I hope Kira doesn't call me. She's she's in Manhattan on a girl's trip. Her, Her 40th birthday is on the 23rd, and so she's on a... Uh, girls trip with some dear friends up in Manhattan and they're just living the life. Amen. (laughs) Amen. I thought about texting her, remember you're not single, but I figured uh, I didn't have to do that. Let me ask you this morning, how do you respond to God? You. How do you respond to God? Now, to be honest, there are um, um, numerous ways we respond to God, but I want to identify three. One is we hear God and we ignore him. Or secondly, we hear God, 
but we don't know it's him. Thirdly, we hear God and obey him. We, I, I want us to be honest this morning because most of us have been living here on earth a while and we have responded to God or respond to God in one of those three ways. We hear God and we ignore him. We hear God, but we don't know it's him. We hear God and we obey him. Since the book of Judges, Israel's leaders have become progressively worse. The Bible says that the word of the Lord, we heard St. Patrick read it, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And the only word of the Lord we read of in 1 Samuel is in chapter 2, and it's the word of judgment that's brought by the anonymous man of God to the, to the priest Eli. So let's unpack this, these 20 verses. God is breaking the silence. And what this passage teaches us, here's my point, that your response to God is going to determine the direction of your life. That, that's it. Uh, you, know, you know where I'm going. I'm one point when you're washing the dishes or cleaning up the kids' room or uh, putting the clothes from the washer to the dryer, if you still do that, uh, 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 what I want you to remember, what I want you to take home is that your life, the, the direction of your life is going to be determined by your response to God's Word. So God does something. There has been no word from the Lord, and all of a sudden, God breaks the silence. He does this, three uh, movements in this passage. God calls Samuel, God gives his message to Samuel, and then God reveals himself to Samuel. You got it? God calls Samuel. Samuel is a boy and Josephus says he's possibly 12 years old and Samuel hears someone calling him in the night. He's in the tabernacle, he's in the sanctuary, and, and he hears someone calling him. So, rightfully so, he assumes that it's Eli. Eli is the older priest who's uh, 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 mentoring this young Samuel. And Samuel runs quickly because he knew Eli was blind and might need help. And this is true both spiritually and physically of Eli. He's both spiritually and physically blind. Eli twice turned Samuel away, perhaps because Eli essentially was blind to the possibility of the Lord revealing himself to this young boy. Now, while Samuel is wrong in thinking Eli spoke to him, he's right in answering Eli. Samuel is an obedient boy, but he doesn't recognize God's voice. 
God is calling this young 12-year-old boy, but verse 7 tells us that Samuel doesn't yet know the Lord. Why? What does that mean? Samuel doesn't yet know the Lord. I'm glad you asked. This doesn't mean that Samuel didn't have faith. But only that God had never spoken to him directly and personally. Yahweh. This is the way God introduces himself in 1 Samuel 3. He uses his formal name, Yahweh. He calls himself Yahweh. And Yahweh is calling Samuel. And watch this. Notice, it wasn't an inner, small voice that we've heard so much about. This was not a dream or an altered consciousness. This was an audible call. God used words that Samuel could understand. And when God speaks to you, he's going to use words that you can understand. Three times God calls as Samuel gets up and runs to Eli. And Eli finally recognizes it. It must be Yahweh. So he gives him instructions. He says, Samuel, this time when, his, when Yahweh calls you, when you hear that voice, I want you to respond. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And on the climactic fourth time, God calls again to this young boy, Samuel, and the Lord calls him twice. Samuel, Samuel. It reminds us of God calling Abraham. Remember on Mount Moriah? He says, Abraham, Abraham. Or that time when he calls Jacob at Beersheba, Jacob, Jacob. Or that time at the mount, on the mountain at the burning bush when God calls calls Moses, Moses, Moses. He calls Samuel twice. He calls him. He's a boy, but he calls him. He doesn't know God's voice personally and directly yet, but God calls him. We need to pay attention. Because we're thousands of years removed, but can I tell you something this morning? God is calling you. He's calling you regardless of your gender or your age or your status. God is still calling. Not only is God calling Samuel, but second, the text teaches us God gives Samuel a message. So let me unpack that. Because when God calls you, he's not just calling you only to get your attention. He's calling you because he's about to invite you to join him in his mission. Let me pause there parenthetically. This is in my notes. You're going to get this for free. We, we, we have a misconception about mission. And you may have heard me say this before, so just indulge me. If, if you're new here, you're hearing it for the first time. God is really the one who's the missionary. God is incarnate in the flesh, 
comes down, Matthew tells us, through 40 and two generations, leaps into the womb of a virgin, is born like you and I. This is God now. And God grows in wisdom and favor and in stature, and he heals, he restores, he delivers, God raises the dead, and then God takes your sin to a Roman rugged cross, and God dies in your place, and then God the Father, in the power of his spirit, goes to the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and wakes that same God the Son from the dead, validating that he is God's Son. And then, after all of that, he not only chooses this motley crew of crazy men, he then empowers them to go out and duplicate themselves over and over and over again. And he says it this way, I have been given all power and I'm going to empower you and give you authority to go and make more disciples of every, here's the Greek word, ethnos, ethnicity, and I want you to teach them everything I've taught you, and I want you to baptize them, and I'm going to be with you from now on. God is the missionary God who calls you and I out of darkness into light, and he invites you and I to join him in mission. That God invites Samuel to join him in mission, and then God gives him a message. Now, after Samuel's gotten over the reality that it's Yahweh inviting him, <laughs> he's excited about hearing God's word so directly. And I, I, I would assume, and, and maybe you would, if you use your sanctified imagination, Samuel's heart must have gone from excitement and then sunk in fear as he hears the message that God gives him to give Eli. It ain't good news. It, it, it's a message of judgment. The message consisted of the, the announcement that the promised removal of Eli's family from the priesthood was about to occur. The sin of Eli's house, you read it, you saw it read, would not be atoned for. It was an announcement so shocking, the Bible says that it would make, God says it would make ears tingle. It would cause the ears of the people to ring like hammer blows on a bell. And the reason is explicitly stated. Eli's sons were wicked. And though he knew, he failed to restrain them. 
The Lord's terrifying revelation was in fact a confirmatory repetition of the judgment against the house of Eli that, that, that we read next door in chapter 2, verses 30 through 36. Eli had failed to restrain his sons who treated the Lord with contempt. Eli's sons are priests. Eli is the high priest. The, Eli's sons are stealing the offerings. They're seducing the women. And God sends a prophet to inform Eli, and Eli confronts them, but he gives them a weak rebuke. <laughs> this is the news that this 12-year-old boy is given to this much more senior man. I want you to see it, because it can be very uncomfortable if you have to go to your parent and give them a word of correction. But let me tell you something. One thing you and I have to understand as we follow Jesus that is a part of our discipleship, hear me, a part of our discipleship includes gentle rebuke of those who are in error. We don't like this part of following Jesus, do we? Because, you know, we're quick to say, you know, I'm not perfect. Now, when people tell me that, I never, let me give you a heads up, I never assume that you are. And when people tell me, you know, we're all human, I'm like, so what else would we be? <laughs> In fact, I love N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright says there's only one perfect human, and that's Jesus Christ. And he actually, I love the language he used. When we sin, we're actually being less than human. And so... You sometime, God might use you to be Samuel to an Eli. And we, we've got to ask God to give us courage and wisdom and strength to confront our brothers and sisters who are in error, whoever they are. Because here's why. Those who do not restrain the sins of others when it's in their power to do it make themselves partakers of the guilt and will be charged as joining in it. Did I say that slow enough? We keep reading, you'll discover Eli dies just like God promises. And it takes about 130 years, but 130 years later, the judgment does come to pass. And we learn that King David replaced Eli's great-grandson Abiathar with Zadok, a descendant of Aaron's son Eliezer. God 
<laughs> Ain't playing. We see God is serious about his holiness. And he's serious about you being holy people. So God calls Samuel. God gives him this message. Ooh. But then God reveals himself to Samuel. Now, I love this because the author of 1 Samuel continues to draw the contrast between Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, by the way, and this young boy, Samuel. The consequences are severe for disobeying God. But the rewards are abundant for obeying God. Watch this. There is removal and termination on one hand and promotion and exaltation in the other. These are both of God's hands. God, listen, did not allow any of Samuel's prophecies to go unfulfilled. And this, this expression conveys the hallmark of a true prophet. None of his prophecies uh, 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 go unfulfilled. His prophetic ministry was not restricted. And the Bible says because of his service at Israel's central sanctuary, during the early years of his ministry, many pilgrims visiting Shiloh spread the reputation of Samuel as a prophet. The Bible says all of Israel from, from Dan in the north to, to Beersheba in the south, an uh, expression that from the northernmost point of the city to the southernmost point of the city, everybody knew, believed, and communicated that Samuel was the real McCoy. Now, chapter 3 begins, you remember, with the observation that visions were only given rarely. That's in verse 1. But in verse 20, but it ends with a reference that God repeatedly reveals himself to Samuel. Why this sermon? Because we're in the church here, right? We live in a fallen world, but we come to worship every weekend to remind us that we're in the world and not of the world, right? And so we remember the four Sundays before Christmas are Advent. The Christian year begins with Advent as we eagerly anticipate on tiptoes the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnation of God, and what we're going to get under the tree. And then Advent leads to the next season, which we call Christmas Tide. Now, I don't know about your house, but we kind of put our tree up uh, immediately after Thanksgiving, but I don't allow us to take our tree down until after January the 5th. Why? Because Christmas is not just the 25th. Christmas season lasts, watch this, from December 25th to January 5th. 
Those are the 12 days of Christmas. You remember? On the first day of Christmas. So the tw that's where the song comes from. The 12 days of Christmas. And I don't want us to take down the tree because the reason why Christians put up a tree reminds us that Jesus died for us on a tree. And we have those lights to remind us that Jesus is our light. And, 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 and we have that wreath on the door to remind us that Jesus wore a crown of thorns on his head. Those what those what those symbols really mean. That's what they're for. That's why we have them. Now, you see the candy cane in red and white. It remembers that Jesus is our shepherd. That this shepherd lays down his life for us. That's that red. And then he raises for he's raised for us. That's that white that purifies us. I'm not just making this up, by the way. And so here we are. It, 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 we've just finished Christmas, and which leads us to what we call the Feast of Epiphany. That's where we are now. And Epiphany comes from the Greek word epiphania, which means manifestation or appearance. Epiphany is the feast that we celebrate on January 6th. You know it also as three kings. And, 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 and in the context of the church here, it refers to us, of, to, to, to the appearance of Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world to Israel and Gentiles. That's why we're in Epiphany. That's why I'm talking about this sermon about God revealing himself. Deuteronomy chapter 18 teaches us that prophets are the ones who hear the word of the Lord and communicate it to God's people. And what Samuel is doing is pointing you and I to a true and better prophet. Jesus Christ. He's our chief prophet and teacher. The word chief is important, Kevin DeYoung says, because it what's, it's what makes Christianity Christian. Muslims laud, laud Jesus or Isa as a great prophet, but he's not the last and greatest prophet like Muhammad. And even our Mormon neighbors worship Jesus as the Christ and the Son of God. They understand these words differently than we do. But, but, but they listen to Joseph Smith as the prophet we all must reckon with. E even our Jewish neighbors recognize Christ as a teacher sent by God. You remember Nicodemus says that in John chapter 3, but not greater than Moses or Elijah and not certainly not in the fulfillment of Moses' and Elijah's ministry of lesser glory. But Jesus is the chief. By contrast, for Christians, Christ is our chief prophet, the one and only who makes known the Father. That's what he says in John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God but the unique one, the one and only Son, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. And here's what he says, and Jesus has revealed God to us. 
And then the anonymous inspired writer of a Hebrew says, long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in the final days, he's spoken to us. How? Through his son. As our chief prophet, Christ came to show us the way and declare the will of God. But as the Messiah, our chief prophet, he came not just to reveal the will of God, but to fulfill it. And he laid down his life. This prophet, this chief prophet, laid down his life. Not just as an example of the way of God, but as the way to God. You need, you need the chief prophet. Anything else is a counterfeit. There's only Jesus Christ. So let me let me bring it bring it on home. Let, let me land this plane. How do you respond to this? <clears throat> let, me, let me suggest some ways. Ask God to give you an attentive ear. Samuel is young, but he has an attentive ear because he's coached by the weak, old priest Eli. Eli teaches him how to listen to God. Why is this important? Because I, I love this because we have life groups in this church. And let me tell you something. The way you fall in love with your church family, let me say that. I want you to hear me. The way you fall in love with your church family is by participating in life group. Because you get to know people not just in passing, but deeply and intimately. And it's in life groups where we are discipled by other more mature believers who can teach us how to listen to God attentively. This is why you can't be a loner Christian. You know, I just go to church and then I go home. Listen, brother, sister, you, you ain't never going to grow. We need accountability. That's why we need life groups. We need a place where we can practice commitment. Talk to me, somebody. And you need a place where you can get some encouragement. If you're single or you're married, it doesn't matter. No matter how old you are, you and I need to be in an environment where we can learn how to have an attentive ear. And Samuel has an attentive ear. But secondly, you're going to need an available light. Samuel says the same thing four times when he hears the call. He says, here I am. That's just a Hebrew idiom for I'm available. God, listen, God gave you a life. It ain't yours. You're just a steward over it. How you doing, by the way? An available life. Well, I don't have nothing to give. Listen, you've got a body, you've got a brain, you've got something to give. And let me tell you, as, as, as a prophet, God wants his stuff out of you. An attentive ear. 
God, give me an attentive ear so I can know your voice and give me an available life. Here I am. Same thing Moses said. Same thing Abraham said. I'm available. Well, I don't have time. That, listen, you, you, don't, 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 please don't tell me that. Because every one of us have the same amount of time in this room. It's how you manage the time that you have. I knew I wasn't going to get too many amens on that. <laughs> I knew I but, but And, and you, if you don't have time, it, here's another reason why. It's not that you don't manage your time well. That's part of it. it it's, watch this. You're trying to do too much in a day. You need to cut back or you need to cut, all, cut it out. This, this, see, see, people with you, as long as you're giving some, but when you still go get the application, uh, Father Eric, it gets a little cringy. An attentive ear, an available life, listen, and an obedient will. <laughs> How do you respond, Sam? How should I respond? Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. God gives him the message, and Samuel gives that message as hard as it was to Eli. Let me tell you something. If following Jesus was easy, everybody would be doing it. And if it's easy, you ain't doing it right. Lord, have mercy. Y'all, this is free. I ain't kidding. An attentive ear. Ask God to give you one. An available life. An obedient will. But lastly, a humble heart. Samuel says about himself, I'm your servant. I'm 12. What can I give? I don't, I don't hardly know my life right from my left. I, I'm 12. What can I give to you, Yahweh? A humble heart. I'm your servant. I don't have anything. I'm inadequate. But I can give you my heart. Lord, it's your spirit that does the work. It's your spirit that produces the fruit. Now I pray that your spirit will teach us that he will convict convince, convert, confront, correct, comfort us. That he will transform us till Jesus Christ is fully formed in us. We ask it all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.